0: you are listening to the mythical jesus podcast taking the christ of faith seriously a podcast that dives into faith development cognitive development using jesus as the framework for that we dive deep into the jesus of the new testament showing him as the preeminent example of development and what that development looks like buckle your seatbelts Sit back, enjoy the ride. This is going to be a lot of fun because diving into the Jesus narrative has never been done like this before. You can visit our website at ChristofFaith.org. On the site, you will find tools, resources, documents to help you in your faith development and to better understand Jesus, the teacher, and his role in that. And now, onto what you've been waiting to hear. Come thou, found us. With every blessing Welcome to the Mythical Jesus my Podcast found at ChristofFaith.org. I'm your host, Bill Reel. What an opportunity we have today. Today's the parable of the sower. How many of us love this story, and yet we all kind of struggle to feel our way through what these things mean. The parable of the sower. This is found in Mark chapter 4, starting in verse 4. We've made our way into the fourth chapter of Mark and we are in episode number 21 starting in verse 4 again Jesus began to teach by the lake there's a recognition here that Jesus seems to always position himself on the edge of the land up against the water the crowd gathered around him was so large that he got into a boat and sat in it out on the lake now he couldn't be very far out right like for his voice to carry, for him to be able to speak loudly and to be heard. He couldn't be too far into the water, but just enough so that people not wanting to get wet kept their distance from him and sat or stood and listened to the words of this teacher. These people, it says, were along the shore and at the water's edge I can only imagine that it's warm, that having the cool water come up and be at your feet would have made a much more comfortable way to sit and to listen to this teacher of wisdom. He taught them many things by parables, and in his teaching said, Listen! A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell among the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places. Where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had not root. Other seed fell among the thorns, which grew up and choked the plants, so that they did not bear grain. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up and grew and produced a crop, some multiplying thirty, some sixty, some a hundred times. Then Jesus said, "'Whoever has ears to hear, let him hear.' And then when he was alone, the twelve and the others around him asked about the parables. He told them, "'The secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you, but to those on the outside everything is said in parables, so that they may be ever seeing but never perceiving, and ever hearing but never understanding. Otherwise they might turn and be forgiven.'" this seems like an odd statement, this they might turn. Turn what? Turn to God and be forgiven. Why is Jesus opposed to that? Now, I want to offer a suggestion, which is that there would have been numerous witnesses to the parables and stories taught in public, that if we make a space for the biblical scholarship, we recognize that Mark is not one of the original apostles In fact, we don't even know that the author of this gospel is named Mark. And we recognize that this gospel, the first one, was written 40 to 50 years after the life of Jesus. To know what those intimate stories were behind closed doors among Jesus and the Twelve, to know those stories is highly unlikely. But to know what parables were taught in public is more than reasonable. So I simply propose here that is it possible that it is these later authors who interject their own interpretations because they want, it is human behavior to want the answers to the questions. When someone speaks in ambiguity, we want the answer. That is a ethnocentric human behavior. But when you move out of ethnocentricity, you realize the importance of ambiguity. You realize the importance of allowing people the space to have their own meanings because their lives are different. Their life experience is different. Their journey is different. So we give them the space to make their own meanings. We give them the space to assign their own interpretations. So I'm skeptical of whether we actually know that Jesus sat down with his disciples and laid out behind closed doors what this parable meant. It seems like Jesus would want people to turn to God and to be forgiven. And such could not happen anyway unless their hearts changed to begin with, which means they understood the parable and the teachings of Christ collectively at their heart level anyway. But regardless, the author of Mark imposes that the interpretation was given. Then Jesus said to them, don't you understand this parable? How then will you understand any parable? You see, his apostles don't understand it any better than the crowd. Why do they get the interpretation handed to them? Doesn't he fear they might turn and be forgiven? Jesus goes on, "The farmer sows the Word." Some people are like seed along the path where the Word is sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the Word that was sown in them. Others, like seed sown on rocky places, hear the Word and once receive it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the Word, they quickly fall away. Still others, like seeds sown among thorns, hear the word, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and desires of other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. Others, like seeds sown on good soil, hear the word and accept it and produce a crop, some thirty, some sixty, some a hundred times what was sown. The parable's one of my favorites. May I relate it a little differently to you? My interpretation isn't the only interpretation you can take. My encouragement to you is to have space to make your own meaning from things, to make your own meaning from the teachings of Jesus, from the experiences of your life, from the things you read and the things you see, from the people close to you. Make your own meaning. So with that said, I offer this as one way of seeing the story. The seed on the path. The path is worn. The path is where everybody already walks. It's the way we already do things. And everybody's on that path. That path has traffic. People do things a certain way. Put yourself in your religious system. Put yourself in your tribe. When this seed, this new idea, this fresh thing, when it comes along and it lands on the path... Path has already been formed. Nobody there is going to let that fresh idea grow. They're going to simply walk over it over and over again, stamping it out. When you're in a religious system and you raise your hand and say, Here's something new and fresh that I thought of, but it does run a little different to the way we've done things, you will find often, almost always, resistance and pushback. Those ideas don't have the space or the fertile ground to grow. That path is already worn, and we can expect whatever ideas come along that are fresh and new, that the people who travel that path regularly will walk upon those ideas with intent to stamp them out. Said in another way, when we are in a system that already has defined and spelled out the mystery, even when an illuminating thought is taught, or one feels enlightenment, and wishes to expound on it. They will be squashed by the system, as religious systems cannot have the risk of a new idea being permitted to grow. The way of doing things is already established, and any thought process outside those boundaries is dangerous and risky. Such will almost always be put down and killed before it can take hold. You either get in with the flow of traffic on the path, or you get trampled. What about the rocky places? The rocky places, this isn't fertile. While a new idea or truth seems initially interesting, there is no fertile space within this person to nourish it. They don't have the landscape within them for it to grow, or they lack the willingness to wrestle with the seed. You see, the rocky place is the person who is not yet containing a space within them. For these later stage characteristics. When a new idea comes along. They go wow that sounds pretty cool. That sounds interesting. But they don't have the landscape within them. For that to grow. You've seen these people. There's nothing bad about them. They simply aren't a space yet. They're not a fertile space. Just as you and I weren't. Five years ago. Or ten years ago. Or fifteen years ago. The idea sounds great. It starts to take hold, but the space is not there for it to be nourished and for it to grow. Think about people who hear a new idea and go, that sounds really cool. And then an hour later, they're like, yeah, I moved on. That's not that great. What about the seed among the thorns? You see, the issue here is not the ground. The ground's fertile. The issue is not the person but rather it's the voices around that person and their ability to shame the person into releasing their grip on the seed. The person sadly also listens to these naysayers as they have deep influence on the person. This isn't a religious system. This isn't like the path where everything's been established. This isn't the path where the traffic is high and the rules have already been set in place. No, the ground here is good. This person's ready to accept new ideas and to grow, but there's a voice or two around them who has significant influence. You see, on the path, you're trying to belong to the tribe. And the tribe says, this isn't okay. This isn't the kind of stuff we talk about here. And they simply say, if you want to be a good member of this system, we just don't share those things. Instead, on the thorny ground, the ground is fine. There's space there for fertility, for things to grow and to be nourished. The problem is that there are voices that shame and marginalize the person for their idea. When you sit with someone and you're like, listen, this is so cool. And they're like, That's not that cool. You're kind of weird for thinking that. And sadly, the person here listens to those naysayers. And then there's the good soil. They have the inner space to be different. In other words, the ground is fertile, they're ready. They have the depth to work with the seed. They have the voices that encourage unique thought and growth. And they have the inner voice willing to stand up to the naysayers. This is the good soil. This is where things grow. May each of you have good soil. May each of you be surrounded with encouraging voices, other people who understand this space and can honor the wisdom inside you and can honor your landscape for wanting to change and to grow and to develop. Until next time, I'm Bill Reel. This has been the Mythical Jesus Podcast. Taking the Christ of Faith seriously, found at Christoffaith.org. Come thou fount of every blessing, to my heart to sing thy grace. Dreams of mercy never cease.